0: Welcome to the Celebration Church Tri-Cities Podcast. We are so grateful that you have chosen to spend part of your day with us. We are praying that God speaks to you through this message from our pastor, Robert Russell. For more information about our church, visit cctri.org. Enjoy the message. For the last four weeks, I've been doing a little mini-series. I gave it a sort of title of just bread and water because that's what we've been primarily talking about. First, about the prevalence of water throughout the world in which God has created and our dependence upon it. And then about how grain, bread, is so essential to life that it sustains life throughout the world and has throughout history. And that I believe everything God does has a purpose in revealing something about his nature and character. That he has created this world to reveal to each of us who he is. And in this idea of water and grain, the bread, there are many metaphors in scripture that liken God's character to something that we see. That the Holy Spirit is living water that Christ himself is the bread of life, which is what we talked about last week. For the scripture talks in John six that God sent bread from heaven, that was the manna, to the people of Israel. But when Jesus was speaking, he says, I am the bread of life. Now I mentioned last week that there are a variety of I am statements in the New Testament where Jesus declares, I am the light of the world. I am the way, the truth, and the light. There are many statements where he says, I am. And he says, I am the bread of life. And in this statement, he says, anyone who comes to him will never go hungry. They will never be thirsty. That he pulls together, really, this whole thing that we've been talking about for a few weeks, that we are absolutely dependent upon water to survive. We are not quite as dependent, but certainly in as much need daily for the nutrition that comes into our physical body, and Christ has likened himself to these two to help us understand that we are in desperate need of him day by day, moment by moment. And I said, you can drink from the things of the world, you can feast upon the things of the world, they might temporarily satisfy you, but inevitably they will leave you parched and yearning and hungry. That you and I were created for relationship with the living God, we were created for that purpose. That above all things God has created you, gifted you, but to know you, to display his glory through you, to love you, and that others might see him in you. And in order for you to experience the best of life, the best possible life, you must drink of the living water that is the Holy Spirit daily, and you must feast upon, feed upon the life of Christ. Take his character, his nature into your soul in order that you are transformed into his likeness and you become literally the image of God that other people see. That we are created in the image of God from the beginning, but that image is marred by sinfulness. And what God does when he sends his Holy Spirit to dwell in you, when by the shed blood of Christ he forgives you, he redeems you and is restoring, making anew, the image that he has in you of his likeness. That you're being recreated in the image of Jesus to be like him, that God might display his glory through you. And you see, you must feast upon the life of Christ, drink from the Holy Spirit in order for that to take place. Now, last week, in talking about this subject, I posed the question, do you... Know about Christ or do you know him? And you see, I think there are a lot of people in this world that know something about Christ, but they don't know him. In fact, does everybody in the world know something about Christ, about God? And the scripture would declare the answer is yes. Because in Romans it says that creation itself speaks of the glory of God such that men are without excuse. There is no person who can say, I have no idea there's a God. In addition to that, the moral law is written upon the heart of every single person. So every person knows when they lie, when they steal, when they do any immoral thing, there's a conviction upon them. And you see that conviction gives them an understanding that there is something outside of me some moral law outside of me that brings judgment upon my sin. And you see, there's no person who can say, I have no awareness that there's a God, even in the most remote place in the world. But you can go all the way from the extreme of knowing a little about him to knowing a lot about him, but still not know him. You see, there are a lot of people who have been to the truth about Christ, maybe in a church setting, in a family setting, whatever it was, who know a lot about him but do not know him. There are intellectuals, academics, who know a lot about Jesus but vehemently teach against him. You see, you can know about him but not know him. But then also, I think there are people who have come to know him but they don't know him very well. They have genuinely invited him into their lives. They want a savior. They want in some way or another to please God in order that they might get to enter into heaven. But as far as knowing him, walking with him, knowing his ways, knowing how he works, they don't know him very well. And then there are some people Who in the journey of life, get to know him really well. And you can see the glory of God displayed in their lives. Because the fruit of their lips, their speech, speaks the truth of Christ. Their very life, their behavior, speaks the love of Christ. They're always displaying his reality. And so the question I posed last week is for each of us essentially all of the time. Do you know him or know about him? And I want to explore that in more depth this week. I've entitled it The One. You'll see why here in a moment. But it's really about Do you know the one true God? Do you really know him? Or do you know about him? If we go to the book of Corinthians, the Apostle Paul wrote this. Now he's writing the letter to the people in Corinth, and he said, when I was there with you on one of his missionary journeys, he said, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaim to you the testimony about God, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Christ Jesus and him crucified. Now, the Apostle Paul was undoubtedly a very intelligent, educated man who could have, in any context, probably presented an argument with great human wisdom, with eloquence of speech, But instead, he says, when I was with you, I wanted to do one thing. I wanted to know nothing except Christ and him crucified. You see, because Paul realized there's a lot about his own life that he had to lay aside. You remember that Paul was an accessory to, if not the organizer of the murder of Stephen, that Paul was busy when his name was still Saul. He was a Pharisee. He was persecuting the church. He, in his religious zeal, he had lost track of really knowing the true God because he knew a lot about God, much more than the average person. He knew a lot about him, but he did not know him, so much so that he was persecuting those who genuinely did know God which has happened throughout church history. Those in positions of power, in church leadership positions, sometimes who did not know him, would persecute those who did. Go back and study the Inquisitions and things like that. Many people who genuinely knew Christ that we now hold up as examples of Christian martyrs who were persecuted and put to death by the church. And essentially that's what Saul, the Pharisee, was doing. But then he had an encounter with Christ. He came to know the true God, and he'd been on a journey of knowing him more and more and more. But undoubtedly, he carried a burden. Most likely, nobody in this room has carried the burden of having murdered another Christian or another person. Some, perhaps in their line of duty, have been required to kill, but there is a difference between defending life and taking it out of vengeance and evil, which was what was going on with Saul. But the burden that he carried was this, he knew he was forgiven, he knew he was going to heaven, he didn't have a problem with that, but he knew also the darkness of his own soul from the past. And when he talked about Christ, he said, I wanted to know nothing except for Christ and him crucified because he knew that is the truth. Anything that came from him was tainted by his own dark soul. And he said, I want to know Christ above all things. Likewise, in Philippians, he says this, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Now you see, he had encountered Christ on the road to Damascus. He'd been blinded, then his eyes were open. He'd been filled with the Holy Spirit. He had encountered the resurrected Christ. And he knew the resurrection power of Jesus. He knew that he personally had been crucified with him, that he was a new creation, that the Spirit of God was upon him. And he says, I want to know Christ And he really could have stopped there. And see, I would ask you, is that the yearning of your heart? Now you see, there are many people in churches all over the world. There'll be more people in churches all over the world during Christmas time than at most other times of the year. Only Easter might be larger. But there will be many in churches who know about him, but don't know him. There'll be many in churches who may know him, but not well. Now, one of the mysteries for me personally in understanding human life and in understanding our relationship with God is why is it that some seem to come to know him very, very well, and others do not. In fact, why is it that some harden their hearts and don't want to know him at all? Now you see, I can understand a young person who's, who's full of energy and vigor with their life ahead of them and being confused, deceived into thinking this is important, that's important, life is to be found here, not realizing that all of those things will pass quickly. What I don't understand is how one can reach midlife or later and refuse to want to encounter the living God. It does say something about what human pride is. We think we're God. You know, it is interesting how how it is that we think we're God. We didn't create ourselves. We're not going to determine the length of our lives. And yet we think we're in control that we're in charge. It's like the little humor about you feed your dog, you take care of them, you pet them, you provide for them and they say, wow, you must be God. You do the same thing for your cat and the cat says what? Wow, I must be God. (laughs) It's true. The way dogs act, the way cats act. It's sort of a reflection of human nature. That God provides all of the blessings of this world and yet many reject him, don't want to know him. And I can't really tell you completely why there's a difference other than there's something in the heart of each person that either turns toward him or turns away. That in the hardships, difficulties of life, some cry out to him, draw closer, and some harden. I don't really know why. I don't know why I could have walked so blindly for so long, but I didn't. And even then, I wonder how is it that I could walk so selfishly even after knowing him for so long? And you see, I think Paul had grasped something later in his life where he's like, nothing else really matters. I want to know him. I mean, think of all of the millions of people who have passed through this world who found perhaps things in this world they thought were important, but when it was all said and done, did they know him or not? That's what matters. Think of it like this. In any organization, any community, any nation, there are people who achieve positions of prominence. Maybe the president of an organization, the governor, the president of a country, things like that. And there are always people who want to rub elbows with them, be associated with them, so that they might gain prominence, gain position, gain power. It's not really that they love that person so much, maybe some do, it's more of what can I acquire. And you see, what Paul was saying is, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, so that somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. He wasn't wanting to know him because he thought he was going to gain something in this world. He wanted to know him because he knew the answer to life is Christ. That walking with him in the fellowship of his sufferings is good when the journey is led by Christ. Now when he says to attain the resurrection from the dead, don't be confused, he's not saying that somehow I hope to earn the resurrection. That's not what he's saying. Of all people who wrote anything in the New Testament, Paul surely knew and declared that it's by grace through faith you are saved not of works no person can boast he knew very very well he would not attain the resurrection by his merit but i know the same thing i understand that it's not by works that i certainly do not deserve to participate in the resurrection power of christ but by his grace his unmerited favor it will happen but even so i don't know How it happens. I've not been through the process. I have a similar hope to attain the resurrection. However, he works that out. Perhaps it's by rapture out of here before I depart this earth. Perhaps it's after my eyes close for the last time in this world. I don't know. But I understand what he's saying is I want to know him in order that I would fellowship with him in the resurrection. Now I want to jump over to John 18 and pose a little different question. It's actually the story of Judas as he's betraying Christ. He has walked with Jesus now for several years and he's like the people I just described. Those who want to rub elbows with people in position and power. And we think we're gonna gain something from that. But you know, it's funny how you can think of somebody as being so important, and if you could just be associated with them, how significant you would be. But then if you really step back and look at it, they're not as important as you think. In other words, I guarantee right now, In Finland or Sweden or Latvia, there are people in strong positions, the leaders of the country that others really want to follow. But does anybody in this room know the name of those people? Not a one, probably. Unless you were assigned a special project at school to study Liechtenstein and you know the president and so forth. But more than likely, you you don't know what some people in some parts of the world think is so important in the big scheme of things, they're just one of us. Sort of we're all peasants until we are redeemed and we're made royal priests in the kingdom of God. But Judas, I think, was like those who want to ride the coattails of others. That he had been with Jesus, He saw his miracles, his power, that people followed him, that he had influence, and he wanted a piece of that pie. But then, when things were unraveling, he said, I'll find another way out. And he would betray his friend with a kiss. Now It's one thing to betray someone, maybe even unintentionally. I think there's sometimes people, their intention is not so much to betray someone, it's to protect their own hide or something like that and they, they pull away. But it's another to very intentionally give your friend over to those who are his enemies and to betray him with a kiss. See, that said something about the darkness of his soul. And so it says that he came with soldiers and some of the priests and Pharisees. And Jesus knew what they were there for, so he asked him, who is it that you want? Now, if you read all that scripture, he asked them this question and then goes on to say, I'm he, leave the rest of them alone, the other disciples, I'm the one you want. He's protecting the rest of the disciples. He says, who is it you want? They replied, Jesus of Nazareth. He says, I am he. there stood Judas to point him out, to verify it. Says when he said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Now if you knew all that story, and then Peter got excited, cut the ear off of one of the soldiers, and what did Jesus do? Healed it. Really, if I was in the mob there to arrest Jesus, and first I couldn't stand up in his presence, and then I saw a miracle, what I would have done was just crawl into the darkness. I would not have been part of the arresting party. I would have shed my Roman soldier outfit and just crawled away. He asked again, who is it you want? And he said, I am he. Now, I look at the scripture because I think of it like this. I essentially believe that Jesus asked this question to everybody all of the time. Who do you want? Do you want the things of the world? Do you want position, power, prestige? Do you want to rub elbows with people of the world? Jesus will say... Go ahead and try that. See how it works for you. See if you don't find it empty. And when you reach a juncture where you're thinking, well, this is not enough, he'll ask again, who is it that you want? And what the Holy Spirit is whispering is, I am he. Who you really, really want is Christ above all. Christ the one who is the Messiah, who's the creator of all things. This is why I'm convinced that God has allowed many things in this world that really we don't like, where evil is displayed, all the hardship, difficulty, because in that backdrop, in that context, you can see the goodness of the living God. But those who do see want to know him. Not everybody sees. I think of it like this. Have you ever been in a a large crowd of people and everybody's going in one direction? It's like just a flood of everybody going in one direction. But there are a few going the opposite direction. You see, From the side, if you see all this mass of humanity going in one direction, you think everybody's going that way. But if you could see from above, you see, no, some are going the opposite, but there are not many of them. They're swimming upstream, so to speak. And I believe it's that way in this life that it's a very wide road that many are on where they're not seeking to know him, but there's some marching in the other direction. And what happens is there are many heading in the wrong direction who suddenly turn, and they head in this direction. The question is, where are you in the journey of wanting to know him? Do you really, really, with all your heart, your soul, and your mind, you want to know him? The greatest commandment is to love him, not just a little bit, partially, but with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind. Is it the yearning of your being to know him. He's really saying, who is it that you want? You want him. People are trying to find fulfillment, satisfaction for their heart in a lot of things of this world that cannot satisfy. See, Judas betrayed Christ and then eventually regretted it even what he'd been paid he threw back it cost him his life but that's an example of every human being who turns their back on Christ who betrays him that it cost you your life in John 8 Jesus is talking to a crowd, there are many Jews and Pharisees there, and he says, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I'm not of this world. He said, I told you that you would die in your sins if you do not believe that I am the one I claim to be. His his statement about himself is, I am. That the one you're looking for is him. no matter how old you are, what you've been through in life, any place you are where there's a doubt in your soul, a wondering, a longing, a lacking, what you're really hungry for is to know him. He is the bread of life. He is living water. He is the one that sustains you each day. As you hunger and thirst to know him, he reveals himself to you. And some people say, well, when he gives me a sign, when he does this, when he does that, then I'll, no, you won't. When you humble yourself before him and seek him, then he reveals himself to you. And those who walk very humbly with him, they see him much more deeply. They know him much more clearly. They're the ones that know when the difficult trials of life come, he can be trusted, that he won't leave you, he won't forsake you, he will allow you to go through hardship, but he's doing something that only he really understands to make you more like him. Similarly in John, same chapter, a few verses later, it says they didn't understand that he was telling them about the Father, in other words, when he's talking about himself, he's talking about the Father. He says, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am. And see, the brackets are there because the version is interpreting what it's saying. But he's basically saying the same thing that God said to Moses. When Moses said, who shall I say is sending me? He said, I am. And Jesus is saying, I am. I am the one. He says, I do not do anything except for speak what the Father has taught me to do, that he is the one who has sent me. He hasn't left me alone, my goal is to please him. Then he goes a little bit further, same chapter. He says, I tell you the truth, we, we mentioned this last week, whenever he prefaces it by I tell you the truth, it's basically like the world stands up and wants to scream, don't listen, but the wise person would listen even more closely. He says, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was born, I am. Now, to the Jews who were listening, especially to the Pharisees, this was an extreme offense. It says, they picked up stones to stone him, but he slipped away. You ever think about how fast he could run? I mean, if a human could run fast, just imagine Jesus like... He slipped away. But he said, before Abraham was born, I am. And of course, they looked at Abraham as the father of the nation, the patriarch of the nation. He's declaring, I'm God. The Pharisees took it as an offense to stone him, to put him to death. But some would believe many would believe, many would come to the place of saying, I want to know him. Now I've reached a place in life where I realize many of the things that I thought were important weren't as significant as I thought at the time. And I realize that knowing him is most important above all. That to walk in this journey, to really know him, to understand him, to be his vessel, his servant, therein is life. And you know, it is interesting. The more you get to know him, the more you understand the work of his blessings. Falsely, in much of the American church, we think that the blessings of God have to do with prosperity and success in this world. That's not it. The greatest blessings of God are in the kingdom of God. The greatest blessings are knowing him, being his hands, his feet, and then all of the people that he will bring across your path that are his goodness displayed right before you. I grew up in a small town, I think of it as Mayberry. And it was a great place to grow up, really was. Very thankful for that. But now I think about in the years that I have journeyed through this world, I've come to make friends from, with people from around the world. And the Lord just keeps adding to the throng And I realized the greatest blessings are all these people that years ago I didn't know that I've gotten to know. And I can see the goodness of God in them. The special nature, the special character. And you see, this is why the second commandment is love your neighbor as yourself. The more you love him, the more he's gonna give you the capacity to love love others. Therein, you get to know him. So I ask, do you only know about him? Have you come to know him personally? Do you really know him? Do you know his ways? Do you know his call upon you? Do you hear his voice when he speaks to you? Do you obey when he speaks to you? See the one who really knows him Is like Paul who says I want to know Christ Above all things To proclaim nothing else Except for him Therein is life Lord I do thank you That to those who seek you They find you that you reveal yourself to those with humble and broken and contrite hearts, in the challenges, the difficulties of life, that you pour out your goodness in those who seek you. Lord, for every person here, regardless of where they are in their journey, I pray that each of us would grow in a hunger and thirst for you. And I pray particularly, Lord, for healing for the brokenhearted. That this Christmas season, they would see your goodness in spite of the heartache that they experience. And I pray this in Jesus' name. We hope that you enjoyed this podcast and that it blessed you in some way. Don't forget to visit our website at cctri.org. And make sure that you send us your prayer requests at office at cctri.org. We pray that the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him.